0: And we got Chaplain Lee in the house. He's going to open us up and we're going to get moving.
1: Can everyone please stand to your feet? We welcome you, but we want to welcome the presence into this room tonight. Father, we thank you again tonight for just another opportunity to come together. Just to hear, Lord, the things that we need in order to be successful in life. We know we can't do it without you, so we thank you and we just give you the praise on today. We ask you, Lord, that you will please uh, touch the hearts of everyone that is here. We ask you, Lord, just to use the man to speak into the lives as we begin to go into tonight, step eight and nine an opportunity where we learn about making amends, where we learn how to forgive, where we learn these things and we can do it without you. So we thank you right now. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor. And we just ask you, Lord, just to have your way in this place tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, you, Chapman. He already Let the secret out of the bag, we're going to take a look at steps eight and nine tonight. Um, Anyone in the room for the first time tonight? A few of you? Good. Very good. First of all, welcome. Second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years, we take a look at the suggested instruction of a step or so a week, directly out of this book, and we use this book, why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book's been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. Fair enough? So what I'm going to attempt to do is try and show you how I find my experience in it and encourage you to have your experience with it. If we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that that does happen? So so good. For those of you online, they raised their hand. You can't see that, but take my word for it. They raised their hand. Um, In 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're talking about a sensory experience. You'll feel it. And when you do, I'll call it to your attention. I'll know. I'll call it to your attention because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of the power. Fair enough? And there may be some skeptics in the room that want to know why my knowing your feelings some kind of way proves the power of God. Well, perhaps it does not. But there is one thing we take on faith if we're in 12-step recovery because they read it at almost every AA meeting. They say there is one who has all power. That one is. Ah, you all knew the answer. So if you're feeling something and I know, did we not at least demonstrate that oneness that we're talking about? Okay, so that's what we're going to call our attention to. Tonight is steps eight and nine, and a lot of people dread that. But I want to call to your attention that this is really where we want to dig in. This is the fitness step. This is the freedom step. So if you want to get free, this is where we want to get to. Does it make sense? All right, so we're going to be on the book page 76, right in the middle of the page, it says, now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Any of you students of another book recognize that phrase? Okay, so it's not by accident that that phrase, out of the book of James, is there, but not because we're trying to teach theology, but because of the doubting nature of many of us humans We need to continually prove the power to us, through us. Does that make sense? That's why we grow in consciousness, because we sometimes lapse in consciousness. Yes? And the other thing about works is works are demonstrable. They're observable acts. So when people see me exercise my faith, they don't have to question whether I have it, because they saw me use it. And then they may inquire... How does one develop faith? And so I have this opportunity to put God's power on display, not by claiming it, because life, light is self-evident. I don't have to tell you I'm enlightened any more than I have to tell you I'm turning on a light switch. It's self-evident, right? But you'll, as you start to see that, you'll know. Does that make sense? How many of you have had that happen to you as you've been in your walk and you started serving others? And all of a sudden, people noticed about you, I don't know what you're doing different, but keep doing it, you're so much better than you once were. And that's when we give credit, when we honor our third step. So that's what we're seeking today, is get that light burning brightly within us. Yes? All right, so so then it says, we have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. Any of you have such a list? Where'd you get it? Ah, so there would be a four before there would be an eight and a nine, because I would have needed to make that list in order to have this list prepping for my a process of amends. All right? Says so we made it when we took inventory. So you notice how the people who've taken inventory knew that. Those of you who have not taken an inventory, the reason you might want to take an inventory is so that you're prepared for the fitness step. Right? Make sense? All right, so we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. How many of you have done a fourth step, fifth step? How many of you would say you found it drastic? Okay, so we've joined the we in that instance. Okay, now it says now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to run on or our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. So they're starting to get more emphatic about the nature of willingness. Willingness is divine power. For years I've heard in our fellowships, you know, I'm not gonna work with you, you don't have any willingness. Well, of course they don't. They don't have any identity. They don't know who they are, they don't know whose they are. Our job is to love them without judgment and that will cause in them a desire to please someone and that will manifest as willingness. And then as we grow in this process, I realize that although I lack the power to always do the right thing, I can ask for willingness and I will receive it. For those of you students of that other book, my righteousness comes from that identity, not from any human origin. Make sense? Okay. So remember it was agreed at the beginning that we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. They put that in italics. With whom did I make that agreement? God, I offer myself to thee. Right? Okay. All right, so probably there are still some misdoings. (laughs) So Sean is speaking about the... Mental and emotional trepidation many of us experience when we know we need to do something, but we also know it's going to be difficult. Any of you in early recovery or even well down the lane had to do something difficult, had to go own something about yourself that you really were hoping wasn't general knowledge, but you had discovered that it was getting in your way of becoming who you wanted to be? Most of us have had that experience. So this is about taking captive the ego for the purpose of growing in the spirit and going on in who I've been and where I'm trying to go. Yeah? yeah? All right. So as we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. What do they mean? I might be a little uncomfortable going to some of my business acquaintances and friends on a spiritual basis considering the way I've treated them. That's okay to feel a little diffident about it. They've got some more instruction. Let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. So if I'm really not able to do that on the first approach, there's apparently going to be more than one approach. And what I really need to do is set right the initial wrong and change the trajectory a little at first anyway because I really don't have much credibility in telling them how I'm changed when I've shown them no evidence of that. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so we might prejudice them. The other thing I've got to be honest about is if they know me from when I'm running and gunning, there's no reason why they should believe me. Right? Been out there looking for God. Sure, sorry about your stereo. While you're out there looking for God, did you happen to find my stereo? <laughs> okay. So at the moment, we're trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. You're doing good. So I'm trying to fit myself to be of maximum service, and this fitness plan requires that I own my part. Not, in, not only in the past, but as I go along. Yep. Okay. So it's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious, the example I just gave you. We have no credibility, right? They need to observe it about me. And then when they ask, I can honor my third-step commitment, his power, his love, his way of life. All right, so in the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? They put a question mark because they want us to think. How many of you have worried about what people would think of you when you professed that you had been delivered? Because of the way we've lived, right? But we got to get over other people's opinions because that, in fact, is what happened to me. It wasn't human effort that pulled me out of the scrap heap. All right, so... We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. Demonstration first, then a declaration. Make sense? All right, he's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. Power. 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 <laughs> power. When we say God, you say power, so we don't confuse anybody with... Ideas about theologies, because we're talking about relationship, not religion. We're talking about access to power greater than me operating through me. Yes? Okay. When it will serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. What does that look like? Yeah, and not try and get overly theological, because I don't have any credibility with that. Right? I mean, really, when they first see me, what I need to talk to them about is, look, I was doing my best to get dead. I couldn't get dead, and I encountered this power, and now I'm in service to this power to live. Just that simple. Okay? All right, so the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. So any of you got those? That's what we would have identified probably back in our inventory We may not like the word hate, but we certainly acted hatefully at times, I would imagine, most of us. Yeah? Yeah. All right. It may be that he's done us more harm than we've done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're still not too keen about admitting our faults. So most of us can think of that. Like the relationship we were in, we both did harm. Maybe they hurt me worse. So, you know, I forgive, but I don't forget is the famous thing I've heard. Well, if you forgive forgiven, you don't forget, then you, you haven't really forgiven. That's human forgiveness. It's not divine forgiveness because divine forgiveness keeps no record of wrong. All right, so nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. So what are they preparing me for? That's a metaphor. Where's my, any farmers in the place? What happens when the animal gets the bit in the teeth? Yeah, you go where that animal wants to go. Okay. So what we're saying is we're going to direct the conversation in the way we know it needs to go and see how it turns out, and it may be a little difficult, right? It's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. How many of you can relate to that? It is going to be harder to go because I want to continue in my hateful attitude. Maybe it justifies some of my behavior. But what they discovered is when they finally did get ready, they got more benefit from the ones they hated than from the ones they loved. And there's a reference in that other book I keep referencing that really we're not to have any enemies. We're supposed to bless our enemies. We're supposed to turn them out of their cheek. That's very difficult to do without a power greater than me. Okay, so we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. So they've given me instruction. We've got to be careful in that. I am not going to go to them in the natural, in a helpful and forgiving spirit. I'm going to have to ask for that. And if I'm not in a helpful and forgiving spirit, when I start confessing what's up, I may not receive it well when they tell me what's up. Any of you ever gone to make amends and then had to make amends for the amends you tried to make? (laughs) So you forgot to read the first part. To get centered in the spirit first. Does that make sense? Because we're, we're growing in this power, and we know this power is real. I still think like me, but on many occasions, I act better than I think. Anyone else in that category? Okay. I know you do, Anthony. You just confessed it to me today. <laughs> Anthony says, when do I quit wanting to hit him in the face? I said, you may never quit wanting them to hit them in the face, but the fact that you're not hitting them in the face is such growth for you. You're still going to share that skin suit with Anthony. But he'll behave better than you. All right. So under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Now, That'll be difficult to do if I'm not centered in the spirit, right? Okay. Simply we tell them we'll never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. Why would I confess that to them? I'm going to get the selfish reason I'm approaching them out of the way first. I'm not coming to you because I'm a saint. I'll never get over this daily trying to kill myself and take others with me. I'll never get over my drinking and my drugging and my other abhorrent behavior until I've done my best to set right my wrongs to you. And I know this because when I encountered this power that was placed in me, that I... I have received my forgiveness. Now it is my job to be the hands and feet of forgiveness to everyone else. Make sense? Okay. All right, so we're there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. Notice how many times they said the same thing. Do you imagine that was indicative of how difficult that is when you're not properly prepared in the Spirit? It may even indicate how many times. Remember, this is just the testimony of the first 100 and their experience with the first several thousand. So they probably saw people that were prepared and did it better, and they saw people that hosed it six or seven times like me and got tired of going back to the same person and asking for forgiveness for the, my attempt to try and clean up the last wreck. Any of you had more than one wreck with the same person? So the reason I want to get to the point that I'm just talking about me and bearing witness about my experience and why I'm endeavoring to pass it on to them is that if our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. So what is, one, what is a evidence of a calm manner? Quiet humility. Yeah, it's, it's observable, right? How many of you have been calm in manner, but were not feeling calm? That's when you'll experience this power greater than you operating through you, right? This is all all you growing in the consciousness of the spirit. Okay, and then it says, Frank, what is it to be frank? Yeah, be direct. I'm there to talk about my side of the street, not yours. I'm not going to try and spin it to make me look any better if I'm doing these things. That, did any of you ever do that? You went and cop to some of it, but then spun it just a little bit so you weren't entirely the one? Okay. Okay. And then open. What do they mean by open? Open to ask them if there's anything else that, that you did to harm them. There you go. You guys agree with Sean? How many of you have gone to make an approach for an amends? and they had something you didn't remember, or something you didn't quite see that way, and when they perceived it, that pissed you off, too. That's not what happened! So I need to be open to their perceptions, because I'm just there to clean it off to their specification. Does it make sense? It really doesn't matter, I'm, I'm not here to change their idea of me, I'm trying to own my part so that I can move free and change my idea of them. It make sense? Okay. All right, so it says if we're honest, we'll be gratified with the result. In nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. How many? Yes. Any gamblers here? That's pretty good odds, ain't it? Yes. So the likelihood is it's going to go better than I thought. Yeah? Because I've thought of all the ways it could go wrong. I'm assuming when they say the unexpected happens. Any of you ever gone to something you're pretty sure you knew the outcome? And you're getting your head ready to go whatever. And then that didn't happen? That's what it looks like. When Okay. All right. So sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own faults a of few of years Years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. They only use that word a couple times. Rarely means rarely. Right? So that we don't get it twisted. Uh, um, Our former enemies sometimes praise what we're doing and wish us well. Have you ever had that happen? I'm looking right at Anthony again. You know, I I, got to bring this up because Anthony went to a hearing and for all the world, Anthony, it was a pre-sentencing, he should have been in prison, like right now. But he went in there with a humble spirit and he told the court, that's me, I did all of that. I've been to prison before, that didn't help, I don't want to go back to prison even if I deserve to go back to prison And I really think if you'll let me do this, it'll be better for society. And that prosecutor stopped him in the middle of the thing. The same one that told him he was going to do 48 years. The same one that told him, there's no way you're avoiding time. Since you don't have to say another word, I'm going to let you go. That happened. If you don't think we see miracles around here, we do. Every day. Occasionally they will offer their assistance, it should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office, we've made our demonstration, done our part, it's water over the dam. So the idea is that I've made my demonstration, if they ask for another demonstration, I'm honor-bound to give them another demonstration, but at least at this point I can let it go. Does it make sense? Not everyone's ready to receive what I have to offer the first pass, so I'm going to have more than one approach. Yes? All right, so then it says, most alcoholics owe money. In my entire career in Alcoholics Anonymous that spans decades, I will tell you that I've met exactly one who claimed that they did not owe money. I'm not sure I believe them. Most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we're trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. How many of you can relate to that? Thought you were pretty slick with your addiction, had it kind of down. (laughs) Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory that it may cause financial harm. Now, don't get that twisted, because I hear people saying, I live my recovery out loud, and that's fine, that's your right. But the thing that you need to know, especially if you're new in recovery, is not everyone is required to understand addiction, and they're not un- required to understand your history as a result of your behavior while in addiction. And so if they don't have any reason to know your addiction history, my advice to you as an AA'er is don't share don't overshare. But if my addiction and those behaviors harmed you, you have a right to know that I know that those behaviors harmed you and that you did not deserve that. Does that make sense? Okay. So approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. Now letting them know we're sorry isn't so much a its a demonstration. It's about manner, it's about what I came to deliver. Does it make sense? Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. So most of us in early recovery had some time where we let that stuff slide and we probably got the grace to let it slide for a time. But most of us can relate to not wanting to answer our phone because there was someone chasing down a bill. Or not wanting to open our mail. Or maybe not even picking up our mail. Because if I don't see it, it ain't there. Or not answering the door. Still got the tweet going on. So... If we live in fear very long, a self is going to manifest and look for ease and comfort. That's their experience. Does it make sense? Okay, so perhaps we've committed a criminal offense which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. Perhaps. In this crowd, I would say it's probably almost a certainty. Most crowds, actually, because we usually don't get nominated for... Alcoholics Anonymous or other recovery <laughs> fellow-ups because of our good behavior. We can make a list. <laughs> yeah, We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. Yep. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we're sure we'd be in prison or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense such as padding the expense account. Most of us, most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried but haven't kept up the alimony number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble too. So I, we went through a bunch of scenarios because a lot of times we try desperately to not find ourselves in, you know, as a belonging into places that we really didn't seek to belong to. So the important thing about this, because they're not talking about an experience you had or anyone alive today had. They're talking about an experience they had. And it's so important that we know that we is the first 100 and their experience with the first several thousand. And it's testimony. It's the personal revelation of God in them. So what we want to do is align to them because I desperately need access to that power they describe. Does that make sense? Regardless of what I think about what they profess. Okay, so they go on to say, although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. So in spite of if none of those scenarios fit any of us, then we got general principles for whatever drove you into a recovery room. Even if you came to support someone else, it's not an accident. Does that make sense? Okay, so reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience... Did you know that's what we were doing in 12-step recovery? A lot of people think that 12-step recovery, the goal is abstinence. It is not. The goal is to awaken spiritually. That's why it says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I couldn't live well abstinent, and I don't live well abstinent today. But what I learned to do was to seek ease and comfort from within, and the more I serve, I experience a condition that I like to call spiritual inebriation that allows me to live comfortably within this body. Make sense? All right. So we ask that we be given the strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. I'm talking to me. I'm not talking to you. The, the interesting thing about this book is this is not a book on how any of you all ought to behave. This is a book of personal testimony that promises me if I will try and behave as they behave, it won't trouble me how you act and speak. And I was greatly troubled in the world with the way you people spoke and acted. (laughs) Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She had gone to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life. So now he's encountered the AAs. He's encountered power. He's made a decision. He's in the manner of living. Does that make sense? A lot of times we don't explain to people the program is not sitting in chairs. That's the fellowship. The program is described in the book. So if I'm in their way of life, it doesn't mean I attended a meeting today. It means I started my day in prayer, and I continued in prayer throughout the day as I went along, and hopefully I behaved better than I thought a high percentage of the time. Does that make sense? So he's commenced our way of life, had secured a position, sounds like he has a job, yeah, and was getting his head above water. So he's starting to pay bills he hadn't paid in a while, all right? It would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am. Would be impressive heroics, wouldn't it? But if I'm trying to grow spiritually, am I about impressive heroics? No, I should be about humble demonstrations. And I can't think myself humble, so I'm really going to have to act myself humble. Does it make sense? The minute I think myself humble, I've lost my humility. Does it make sense? So I'm not going to be able to think my way into humility. I'm going to have to act my way into humility. That will be your observation. Make sense? All right. So we thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his wife, his first wife, admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try and do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Then they say, of course she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. But they walked you through the experience, so you're getting a sense of what any lengths might look like. Here's some of the money I owe you. I've got a job now. Here's what I'm going to try and do in the future. I hope someday you can forgive me. And I'm not doing any of this To avoid going to jail. If you want me to go ahead and surrender. I'm now open to do that. Does it make sense? It's changed behavior. Some of you are feeling that. Who's feeling that? I can feel you feeling it. That's the power activating in you. That power is called God. And we're calling your attention to that. Because it's so important that you understand. We're not talking about doorknobs, light bulbs, groups of drunks. We're talking about sensory power and revelation within us. Does it make sense? Okay. And you need to know that because otherwise we die in addiction. Just what happens. All right. So, all right. So, um, what do I do now? We thought we, oh, I'm, I'm on the top of 80. That's why I got lost. Okay. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. So if my current employer is going to be affected by me having to surrender or my current wife is going to be affected by me having to do that, then I would have to go to them first. Those are the others. Over the years, I've heard people say, you are others. No, you're not. You already had a column. You're you. It's called my part. Whole damn things about me. But the others are those people who are affected by my actions. See, when I was in addiction, I didn't care how other people were affected by my actions. But now I have to be mindful of what the consequences of my addiction, even in my journey to recovery, may cause because I don't want to create more suffering. Does it make sense? Okay. All right, so if we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help. Oh, that was weak. You guys have been doing better ask power to help and the drastic step is indicated we must not shrink so they described a sensory experience have you ever asked in prayer for something and then just moved into it you notice how that was a sensory experience maybe an unpleasant one because that drastic step was indicated I'm not only going to have to ask I'm going to have to move my feet some of you are feeling that who's feeling that Some of you went there right away. Yeah, good. That's the power we call God. When you see people, some of these people I see with their hands up, they've been doing this a minute, and it's still the same experience, and we go right back to it, don't we? That's what it is to touch you with depth and weight. We're talking to you in the spirit right now, and the spirit is revealing to you that experience. All right, so this brings us to to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. So follow this guy's story and think about life in your own experience. Um, He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. So this cat just went somewhere drinking and he was chopping it up with somebody who gave him some money for another purpose and then inexplicably... The money evaporated in his possession. (laughs) Any of you ever get money for some future work? Or something? And then when it came time to buy materials? So there was not an explanation you cared to give to whomever entrusted you with money. True? So that's what happened to this cat. He'd been entrusted with money except this guy gave him money for the church fund. And then as will happen with those of us in addiction, that money evaporated, and he didn't have an explanation he cared to give about that evaporative rate of money in his possession. So he said, Cat never gave me the money. He's a liar. And so the dude's reputation's ruined. It all makes sense now, right? So we've unpacked it. We can sort of see ourselves there, even if we didn't have a church family. or okay. So he felt he'd done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? Question mark. So based on the guiding principles, what right did he have? None without their permission. So I've now got to go to the employer, the current employer, the wife, and say, look, Cat gave me money. I said he didn't. When I copped to this, can you support me in this? And Does it make sense? Okay. So then it says, how could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? Another question. How could he make a public statement exonerating his rival? How did he hurt his rival? In the church. Yeah, he hurt his rival in public in the congregation. So he doesn't even know all the people that he's... Created the problem with this fellow four, so to make it right, he's going to have to go inward. He's going to have to trust that this power is going to get him to do the, the. Does it make sense? Because this guy wasn't a regular AA guy. He was a church guy, and he couldn't go to church. He he didn't. That's why his name's not in here. He he didn't go the AA route. He was an Oxford group member who went the church route. Okay. So says, after consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. The other book tells us to go admit our faults before we go to the altar. Yeah? Okay. So we saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. Any of you ever done something that you just knew was out of character. I mean, you'd done that kind of crap before, but now you were aware enough of yourself. You really didn't like treating people that way. And now you did it, and you didn't know what to do with it. That's where the cat's at. Because I don't want to be that guy anymore. I never wanted to be that guy. But I got comfortable being that guy, but I'm no longer comfortable being that guy. That guy died, and this one living now can't carry that burden. Does it make sense? Okay. All right, so... He attended church for the first time in many years. He apparently took it to prayer and meditation. He realized he had to go back to the congregation he couldn't go back to, and he had to own what he had done to this cat. So it says, after the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. Now, they said he quietly got up and made an explanation. Any of you come from a church family? So Some of us. It's, it's not easy to get up in front of a congregation and admit that kind of thing, is it? How many of you have stolen the Seventh Tradition money from a recovery group? (laughs) It's not easy to get up in front of that group, is it? His action met widespread approval, and today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. So they give you in the story that actual revelation of the thief of the church fund becoming the most Trusted citizen in the town through the power of God. Make sense? They're trying to tell us this is our testimony. That's what happened. That's who he was. That's what happened. That's what he's like now. He took his stuff, and now they're comfortable with him. Okay. So the chances are that we have domestic troubles. Anybody? Sean Sean has domestic troubles. Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. And this book was written at a time where they didn't try and say men and women and all that, but you know, change it to suit. And we're not, we're not getting too worked up about identities or anything. So. so we doubt if in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. Have you noticed that? That what you thought was addict behavior was really human behavior? Well, we, we start to realize it when we're not using it anymore and we still have some of the same behaviors. And now they don't fit because I don't, have, I don't even have an explanation for it now. okay? But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. That's a bit of an understatement too, right? Where's my meth addicts? You guys didn't even know how to get to the right home, did you? <laughs> And the sex relations were complicated, trust me. Le- leathers and feathers and... <laughs> After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicated. You ever notice that? Then they go inward. How could she be anything else? Given what kept happening over and over again, how could anyone expecting me to come home be any other way than worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. Right. Make sense? Okay. The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Christie's Cabaret. <laughs> we'll have to get shirts for Sean. Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. Any of you ever met her or him. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? Another question, right? Eyesight without insight is spiritual blindness. So it's really not their level of understanding that's in question. It's about my questionable behavior, and am I willing to be repentant and move into a changed nature, or am I going to continue to harm others and see how that works out for me? okay. A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. So how many of you can relate at least to that? Whatever family member supported you and supported you and supported you when it made absolutely no sense to support you any further and yet? Any of you? Get, okay. All right, so whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Wow, that was emphatic. How sure are we, right? Okay, Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? It's about mixed, not that far apart there. Okay, Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. You ever had that happen? We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. Now, they write down what they did and what they learned from what they did, but they also write down what they didn't do and what they learned from that. So they're telling us what they feel they should do, but then they're going to tell you, in some cases, what they did. Have you ever felt you should do something one way and then confronted with the situation behaved in a different way? Okay, well, we're going to talk to you specifically about that. (laughs) We're sorry for what we've done. God willing, it will not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, now they're speaking to those of us who were not sufficiently empowered to behave the right way, even though I sort of knew the right way. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm not supposed to discuss the other person, but I'm going to go ahead and throw them under the bus because, fuck, it's getting hot in here. (laughs) Though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this the best course to take. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It's as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. My recommendation is you not remind her of that.
1: Let her come to that conclusion on her own, if she will. harm was between me and the individual and I did it
0: not because there was some willing participant that I found my relationship with them was harmed because of what I did not what someone else did regardless of their desire to know who they are make sense okay perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded no outsider can appraise such an intimate situation so who's an outsider in this situation yeah, and probably nobody but me and God. Because the couple's going to be insisting I do things that would be harmful. Because they just want to know. They want, it to, they want the hurt to stop. But the hurt's not going to stop because I've involved another person. Make sense? Okay. All right, so it may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we're dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than to risk face-to-face combat. So oftentimes it's just the calm demeanor. It's allowing people to think and feel as they do, to act unkindly and understand how could they be any other way given who I've been. I understand it's going to take a minute for their memories of me to reflect something happier than what they used to be. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. i got family members to this day, and I've been at this a minute. They still got an old, drunken, tweaked-out dad. They just do. And it's not my job to talk them out of that, and it's not their job to come in alignment with me. It's my job to live a better life, to take care of my brothers and sisters the best I can, and if they ever want to receive me, then show up as the man I have become through him and not the guy they know. Does it make sense? Okay. So if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. You ever heard that? Does it make any sense to you in light of your own addiction? No, if the only thing I needed to do was stay sober, and I've just admitted to you in one that I was powerless to do that, that kind of limited my options, didn't it? So, and the other thing is I had been sober and returned to active addiction. Anyone else? So if the only thing I needed to do was that which I can't stop doing, that's not logical, is it? okay. So it says, certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't, but he's yet a long way from making good to the wife or the parents whom for years he's so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patient's mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. They're going to talk to us about where we've been and where we're going. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. You guys get that metaphor? kind of have vague remembrances of your life in addiction and what a storm it was and how things got tore up and you just moved from one to the next to the next. You ever seen a path of a tornado? They're drawing a pretty powerful picture for those of us who have had that life. And what that, it really helps us to understand the miracle of us not being in that life given what we've... The wrecking ball we've been. Yeah? All right. So it says hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead... Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept a home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. So the authors of this book are trying to tell any of us reading it that I am not thinking very clearly if I think just being sober is enough for me to live comfortably in this skin. It's not going to work. I couldn't live in it any other way but inebriated, and that's going to be true until I've done something different. All right, so he's like the farmer who came out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? (laughs) We chuckle about it because we've all done that. How many of you have gone out to maybe get groceries or something and then ran into the trap house and didn't come back for like a week? (laughs) And you come strutting in and everyone's staring at you, and you can feel like daggers, and you're like, what? <laughs> Ain't a grand the wind stopped blowing. Most of us have some similar story. Yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead, and we must take the lead. So the building is going to require me moving forward and starting to take the actions to at least admit my Faults and and let them know that I know they didn't deserve it. Okay. A remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. Think about why that is. A lot of us think of that's about saying we're sorry, but I can say I'm sorry and not demonstrate any remorse. Right. Sorry to interrupt, but. (laughs) What I really mean is my time is more valuable than yours. Right. So. What we want to do is not a remorseful mumbling, but a conscious effort to let you know that I know what I did. I want you to know that I know what I did, and I know you didn't deserve it. That's going to take more than a mumbling. Does it make sense? All right. So we ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it. How many of you, after you did a fourth step and fifth step, and some of this stuff, saw your past much differently? How many of you started serving others saw it even more differently? So we do see it different, don't we? Being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. That's a prayer we don't see often in the rooms, but it's a good one to get as soon as we start having thorny thoughts. Creator, please show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, love, right? I need to find those things and the world reflects how I'm thinking and feeling. So if I'm consciously looking for those evidence of those traits, I'm going to find them, even if I'm the instrument of them. I'm gonna see the fruits of them. So what we do is, it, as recovered addicts, we go out and talk to people who are not capable of demonstrating good behavior, and we show non-judgment, and we show them patience, tolerance, kindness, and love, and we see the miracle of them responding to that and getting well. Something we should get in our life, even if we don't have an addictive history, because all of us have a human condition. Right? All right, so the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. It's a manner of living by right. practicing these principles in all our affairs, it's just walking in this constant prayer and meditation and taking captive those thoughts that are less useful. Make sense? And serving as we go. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live on spiritual principles, we think we ought not urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. So they're cautioning you about the experience I've had with some of my family members. They don't want to hear a sermon from me. They're afraid they're going to hear a sermon from me. I've gone to do weddings for people, and they asked me if I was going to give a sermon. No. No, I'm not. I'm going to read the rites that they asked me to read, and I'm going to sign it because I have the authority to do it, and I'm not going to preach at you at all. I'm not a preacher. I mean, I could be. People call me that. But that's not me, right? My assignment is to stand right here at the gates and welcome people in. Okay. So they will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. So we've got to give them some time to heal, and oftentimes at a distance. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves we would write them if we could. So now this is just about getting, getting right within you. If I would write it if I could, then there's no further action needed. If I wouldn't, then I need to ask for willingness. And if I get revelation that I can, then I'll know if I'm doing what I should be in prayer and meditation because I'll find myself doing it. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. Any of you have any of those? People that have passed or they're a long way off. You still need to move in it. So you may be a letter or you may have to do something in prayer. Yeah? Okay. So. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile and scraping. So by this time, you know who you are, you know whose you are, so you're not there hanging your head. You're just owning who you were and where you're headed. Right? Okay? You are not what you did. You've got to understand that, guys. It's so important, especially in our population of people coming back from recovery, coming back from incarceration. You are not what you did. We, you are members, and you are a new creation, and you're going to walk in that, right? Okay. All right, so. Wow. My friend Kevin used to say, the devil knows your name, and he calls you by your sin." And God knows your sin and he calls you by your name. Who are you going to listen to?